When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the emotional path on this? Because it's over 9,000, my friend. It's over 9,000. I'm just thinking like... <laughs> there you is know, no you, limit. <laughs> the limit does not exist. You are kind of a superhero. Even if the kids don't like you, you are kind of their superhero. How much time do they wait for a family until they decide like, ah, we just cannot, like that is just not a safe space for that, that child to go back into. Mm. So today, we have a very special guest on with us, Mitch Luchens. He is a good friend of mine, aging back from like way back before 2010 when we were both in high school. We went to separate high schools, but we actually met through a local youth group. And amazingly enough, Mitch moved down the street from my parents, and now my parents see him way more than me. Which is okay. I He's just, not better. I'm just. I just feel like I've been replaced. It's fine. But <laughs> Mitch also married us. He he was our officiant. Yes, at that's our a very important uh, right fact. Yeah. Yes, it's super important. He's sort of the. He's the reason that we have all the tax benefits that we do. But even more amazing is that we kind of started on this journey of. Uh, journey to parenthood around the same time i don't know we've we've really kept in touch about what's going on in our lives through trying to become parents so that's why we asked mitch on to talk about his experience with foster care foster to adopt and and then more recently going through surrogacy welcome back to the who's your daddy podcast where we work to demystify the process of starting a family through non-traditional means from foster to adoption to IVF and surrogacy, come along as we navigate this tricky space on our own journey to fatherhood. From parents who have navigated these processes before to the experts that help pave the way, together we hope to gain insight and answer as many questions as we can. We are your hosts and husbands, Michael and Matt, and today we are going to finally dive into the foster care system a little bit with our good, maybe even best friend, <gasps> Mitch, and I do believe um, his last name is still Newton, um, but you know, it's, it's okay. It's up for debate. It's okay. Some of us know him better than Newton others. Well, no, it's uh, well, Newton Luchens. Newton Luchens. Sorry, Matt. Uh, Michael's right. I never changed it. Yes. <laughs> but your email uh, address is Mitchell it's Newton Luchens. Correct. Correct. He's playing the field. To get that. No. <laughs> I intended to get that done. And um, I just never filed the paperwork. And here we are uh, eight years later. We talked about that, too, actually. And I never changed yeah my last name and vice versa neither of us did it's just but still we get we get letters in the mail that says michael schuler do we really sometimes yes (laughs) who did you tell that that was my official last name we told everybody at the wedding did you yeah it was like mr and mrs or mr and mrs mr and mr lindsey schuler lindsey schuler yeah something or wait no they said schuler we were just going by schuler we literally have a plaque on our wall that says schuler on it i know established june 2nd 2018 i I thought about it and then there was was a whole "Mm." narrative that was discussed right before the wedding about whose name is or what are you doing the names and it was very clear to me that you were going to be the schulers 
<gasps> and that did not manifest. I was like, yeah, sure. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to change my dental license. I don't want to have to change all these things that are in my name. My dad was telling me horror stories of people's last names and mix-ups and not being able to access bank accounts and like all this stuff. So I was like, you know what? Is it worth it? Probably not. I mean, our kids can bear both of our names and we can just keep ours and it won't matter. I mean, that's why I was going to ask. What are you going to name your future children? Oh, wow. So let's jump into that like, yeah, last we're name. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, great question. Actually, my passport expires first part of next year. So I think I'm trying to rush through and just get my name actually changed by the end of the year. Oh, wow. So we'll oh, so you are yeah. going to change it. Oh, yep. see, I'm just ahead of the curve uh, here. Okay. Yeah. I, I, we're not going to hyphenate. I think that our names are too long. Um, and it means more to Jeff to have his last name than, than it does for me to keep mine. That's noble and good. Michael can take notes. So it will no, be, <laughs> it will be family Luchins at some point. Correct. Okay. 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 okay fine. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Okay. So we, you, us, your husband, who is is out of the house and at work today, kind of started talking about having a family around the same time, but you guys uh, jumped into the foster care system, uh, and Very we're quickly. sort of kind of feeling that situation out to see if that would work to build your family. So when did that start? Yeah. Um, so the whole conception of like us moving towards family building started in like the summer of 2019, I believe. Um, and we were just going over like what our, our options and like immediately I thought surrogacy would be the path to do. And mm you know, Jeff pointed out, like, there are so many children in the world who really do need a great place. Um, and, and I agreed with him. And that had kind of always been a goal for me, because I had kind of totally not, I had like a pseudo foster um, system life in high school. And so I wanted to also kind of create that safe place for a child at some point. Um, and so we had that conversation and decided that we would give fostering a go. And I'm glad that we started when we did um, because we were on vacation in lovely South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) That's another point to bring up. I mean, you married a South Dakota man and I married a South Dakota man, but we're both from this small town in Oregon. So like how, (laughs) how did that happen? Even Uh, I, I, um, I don't think it speaks well for either like albany or south dakota that we would pick the either one the other one Um, (laughs) i it's a statistical anomaly but i'm happy it happened yeah yeah and then you actually experienced you you said you were like a pseudo you went through pseudo foster care in a way Mm -hmm. in high school tell me more about that yeah so uh my family my uh sophomore year were like we're we're moving um and they had my two youngest siblings my brother and i uh were you know the next two still living at home and my parents just said we're moving in two days the two younger one can come with us you two can't sayonara Um, how old were you I was uh, 16, 17. Oh my God. Okay. Um, and so uh, my fa- my foster family, best friends family, the family that I just spent all the holidays with and do everything with now, um, they, I'd basically been living there anyway. And they just said, okay, you're coming with us. And so I went and um, 
I was really lucky to land where I did. And years later, when my brother and I kind of reconnected more, I learned about his story. But um, yeah, we kind of had a unofficial foster journey. And that's now the family that I live with and spend time with now. Yeah. Wow. Uh, And that kind of influenced you in thinking about foster care and being able to be a home for other kids as well. Yeah, I I think that it was just amazing to see and know people who genuinely wanted to help a kid myself at the time without any reason for doing so, um, besides that from that they cared about me. Uh, and they didn't even have the benefit of going to the foster system. And in hindsight, they could have, and they could have at least been paid a little bit to cover <laughs> me, but they didn't all, you know, out of pocket, just added a third kid. Independently. Um, wow. Yeah. And I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for them. So then how was like getting approved, enrolled? Like what yeah. was that process like? How long does it take? Like initiating what do it. They do? And did you know anybody who was doing foster care at the time? Or was it just kind of like trying to figure everything everything out on your own? Knew nobody who was currently a foster parent um, at, at that time. And then came year, a year or two later, I realized that we did know somebody who was, you know, in the process with us. Um, but we started in, in se- the summer of 19, um, and just, we got home like a week later after we had that conversation, I tried to sign up and it said like three months before we can even get into an orientation class Oh wow! to, to be a foster parent, even though they're incredibly desperate for foster parents, there just isn't, they, it takes a decent amount of time to train and get people through and the interest was enough but this the amount of classes available couldn't sustain getting people through in a timely manner um was that due to like staffing like they didn't have enough staff to teach the classes to get yeah qualified staff um and access to space to do those courses um and they really want to make like like the you know you go through a background check you go through a lot of review of yourself before you can even get into um the class so they it takes a little bit of work. So I, I wow. would say that okay. for the average person, if you wanted to start it just to get in the class, I would prepare like a three to four month window before you start the, like the pre-process to start the process is about three to four months. Wow. Um, okay. And I don't think that's gotten any better, you know, having friends and, and contacts in the system um, since COVID happened. So I think that's probably still consistent, at least in Oregon. Is this something that differs state to state, um, office to office, or is it kind of across the board that you can see that it's kind of like this three to four month waiting period for foster care in order to like just get into the classes? Yeah, um, I I have limited experience overall, but I have had to work with the Washington system and the Texas system um, Mm. due to kids having relatives out of state. Um, And I know that for Texas was six months just to start the process. And then their education curriculum is, is much longer than Oregon's was at least in the window that I had to see. Um, Washington was a two month wait. So it really just, it depends every, I think every system, every state has their own general guidelines, their general wait list and, and access to, to educating foster families. Um, But I, right now I think that there is, uh, at least a significant delay around the country. And what was the uh, the education, like the training going into those classes? So they do, I think all the, the 
DHS workers, uh, Department of Human Services employees really come in with a great intent to educate and, and provide the families with tools they need to take care of children. There's two systems. One is a uh, week-long or two-week-long course where you do evenings for a couple hours each night. And then the second option is to do a one-weekend intensive training, and that's what we opted for. And mm. so it was like a four-hour on Friday night and then two 10-hour uh, days Saturday and Sunday wow. for, for our training. And then, uh, then you started in your home review process after that. And I imagine that each state also has a different setup for how they do their training. I've heard that um, in other states, especially on the East Coast, it could be like a 12-week course 12 you're weeks. doing. Oh, but wow. that would be like a one to two night a week um, situation. Okay. So spread out over time. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you learning in those classes? Just like, are you, is it like parenting advice or is it more like this is how the system works and like this is what to expect like what are the classes teaching you I guess more about like how to care for children or like how to navigate the system or is it sort of equal on both it's definitely both um you I I would have thought that they were going to be educating us a little bit more on how to be parents because we had not yet had children at this point Mm -hmm. um it was definitely more geared to uh documenting and supporting a child who's in the system and documenting they, yeah because everything has to be documented medications um appointments uh, uh you know family visitations all that needs some kind of a record and then they teach you how to advocate for the child what i would say in terms of limited parenting advice they give you is that they really focused on trauma-informed care for children because any child that's in the system has likely experienced some form of trauma to different levels. And and they want you to be prepared to identify um, what those are, how to flush out conversation with them, how to care for them and just be a supportive person um, that they are now, uh, that they now have to live with. Mm -hmm. Um, That was kind of the primary parenting focus they gave us. And a lot of it was, this is what you should expect with court dates. You should what you should do to build um, relationship with the families, to build life skills for the children. It was, uh, you know, very detailed, but you kind of have a fire hose going on you for three days, <laughs> and um, not a lot of it. Not everything sticks. Let's say that just an yeah. insane amount of information. Well, and are yeah. you respon- Are you responsible for that documentation, or is it um, is it a social worker or a case- do they call them caseworkers or social workers? Uh, they're both. And and not every uh, caseworker is a social worker, but um, you definitely work with social workers. Okay. Uh, and the, the documentation, there are elements that we are personally responsible for, and we turn those over to DHS. Um, and they're but they are ultimately responsible for making sure that all these things are completed. So they have an enormous workload because more often than not, there's one caseworker, and this is a, at least my county, and our conversations with our workers, they're probably supporting anywhere from 25 to 40 children on their caseload. Oh, wow. That's a and lot. That's, that's yeah. a lot of kids. Because they have like multiple things that they have to have documented every week, right? Every or week. day, every day almost if yep. they're on medication. And that's medication, visits, doctor visit, court hearings. 
um, just their internal per work processes that you you have, you know, being an employee anywhere, it's a lot. And their burnout is um, incredibly high for, for caseworkers. I mean, it's understandable that it, it can be kind of like short staffed in a way if there's a high level of burnout and there's so much work put on to each individual person. Mm hmm. It kind of reminds me of nursing in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but instead of having 40-something kids um, that we're responsible for, it's like, you know, four patients, five patients at a time. But it's still a lot when you're trying to keep someone alive. Yeah. It, I definitely, I've seen caseworkers who are less invested in the, the role. And I've seen ones that are just like, this is their live and breathe purpose in life. Um but I get why there, at least during the first part of COVID, there was a mass exodus of workers. Um, and then, so at least Oregon did a huge um, hiring drive to get more workers because they were just so desperate for staff. Um, but each one of those staff have to go through three to six months of training. Oh, wow. So it takes a while to get them up and running. And I definitely know, I assume rules were bent to make that happen um mm. to because they just you can't leave a child in the system without having someone assigned to them someone should be checking up on them and we can get into when they don't do that but uh mm -hmm. it, it does happen um but the ultimate goal is to prevent that but jeff and i we went through the training and um that was that was three days and then it was about two months of our home uh review to make sure our home study was completed two months um it was about two well they said it takes three months. Um, so we finished our courses the middle of November of 19 and we got our first placements January of 2020. Okay. Uh, um, and that's because they were desperate for families and we were not technically an open house at that point. And uh, actually we were not officially opened home until June of oh my 2020. That's when so like, like your house was officially approved to be correct. open. And by then we had had um, four children. Wow. Is that um, four placements or two? Your first, cause your first placement yeah. was three um, kids. Three, three kids. kids. <laughs> yeah. There was two plate. There was two separate placement events. Um, but you know, four kids across that. Uh, yeah, we started out with a four, five, and six-year-old um, first part of January of 2020, and um, it was it was a lot. Yeah, what yeah. was that like? Yeah, so I was thinking of like, okay, because because that came on earlier than you were expecting. With oh yeah, this whole home. What was your kind um, of approval process? And they they just came back and said, okay, we're desperate for placements. Um, your home's not approved yet, but we have three kids. Uh, can you take them now? <laughs> That's basically what the conversation was like. What was wow. your leeway of time that they, they were like, they're ready in 24 hours, 48 hours, 20 no minutes, like, uh, 20, 20 minutes. <laughs> we, I think we had like a, a two hour kind of like two, two hours. hours? No, so, so it was, you know, give me a call in 15 minutes. What you guys think. I talked to Jeff and um, you know, we decided, yes, we'll, go for it um and, but we had like two hours before they were actually in our home mm. that afternoon so you at least had a little time to clean and, and you know get ready oh my gosh <laughs> yeah I mean, a little time to <laughs> prepare to like 
more than double the amount of people that live in your house. How old were the kids again? Four, five, and six. Four, five, and six. Three of them. Yep. And uh, they were wonderful kids. They, tr- I mean, we talk about them all the time because of how much we, you know, miss them, um, and and how much we wonder where they are in life because you don't always keep in contact with with children after they leave your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and we flipped our house pretty quickly in those couple of hours. Um, did you have beds? Like, did you have three just like extra beds? Just we like, did not. <laughs> did you have like one because you were like, maybe we'll, well get one kid. We had, and extra we're ready. We had, we had two queen beds in our guest room, two guest rooms. And um, the two younger boys, the four and five-year-old were at that point sleeping in kind of single beds, but they had always kind of stayed together. So they were much better to be in that queen bed by themselves. Mm-hmm. And then our third guest room, um, our, our girl who was six was able to stay in that one by herself. And that first night that they came, they had, you know, one, you know, plastic grocery bag of clothing, a piece and some mm. toys. And we, you know, DHS provided us with $300 of Walmart gift cards. And we went to Walmart and I think we spent probably around seven or $800 for them. Oh my God. Getting clothing and food and toys. And um, we got home and bath started and bedtime started and you know we went that we went we, we ran with it wow Jeez. how long did you have the the, the kids? kids they were with us for four weeks and um that i can tell you we cried almost every other day we <gasps> go it was so it was so stressful like you and everything about your life changes um these are kids who have trauma so they express trauma behavior which is nothing wrong with that. It's not, they can't help it. It's just a response that their brain, um, you know. Can you tell me more about what, like, what kind of behaviors would you experience with trauma behavior? What is that like? Yeah. So for one of our kids, uh, he had um, bathroom trauma. So he couldn't, he could only take a bath and not a shower. And he couldn't handle like water being poured down his head to like rinse off soap. And we didn't know that until, you know, we tried doing a shower. He'd always said bath time and we kind of just ran with it. Um, but there's one time where I had seen his hair wasn't really getting clean very well. So I went in there and was washing his head and, you know, pick up a cup of water, put it, run it down their head. And it was meltdown. The, the kid was no longer there. It was just screams. Mm. Um, and oh his eyes were open, but he was no longer responsive. And those would last for about 40, anywhere from 15 to 40 minutes. Yeah. Where they would just, he would just be in panic mode. And did they not tell you that like before? Like they don't know. They don't know that, I guess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like, you know, they go from a traumatic place or traumatic experience to now they're getting picked up for foster care or Mm -hmm. it's that fast, isn't it? There's no like, yeah debrief or holding period of of you know they're figuring stuff out with the kids it's just like from one place to the next yeah we you know these kids the two older ones had been in the foster system briefly but with a relative so they had some familiarity in that situation um when they came to us dhs had really been involved in their lives um very much directly Mm. so they don't really have information to pass on and that's pretty common um even with kids that are 
in the system for many years, the available information gets lost about behaviors for the child. And it, it is one of the sad realities that no one can, there's no great mechanism of maintaining and sharing that information between families. Um, even like, even like if they were placed somewhere else, like, are you responsible for like documenting like, Hey, by the way, this kid has bathroom trauma for like, whenever they go to somebody else, like, do you document that so that hopefully there's some sort of, I don't know, helpful record uh, for yeah, we, somebody we, who's next or DHS or your human services would always want to know that information and their goal is to capture it. Um, I don't know all the methods that they utilize, but we, anytime we had a kid that would leave us, um, I would take kind of the afternoon off that we knew that they were scheduled to depart. And the couple days prior, I would build a um, support plan for them, um, oh, wow. a little pamphlet about meals they like, food they don't, um, their schedule that we got used to, upcoming doctor's appointments, medications, um, you know, what their trauma triggers were and responses. Uh, wow. And I'd, help, I'd let them pick out like, you know, if I didn't know already, I'd let them pick like an, a picture that they liked and then we'd put their name on it and print it and, you know, we'd spiral bound it and um, sent it with them. <laughs> it, and a lot, many, many times it just went back to their families. Um, but a lot of, many of these families don't have that skills and there's a reason, there's potentially a reason why DHS is, is involved in their lives. So I, I would like to hope that the families took that time to review it, to learn a little bit more about how to safely support their own children or family members. Um, those three kids ended up moving to another foster family who, um, you know, amazingly was a substitute teacher at their school. Oh, um, wow. that's great. And they were, they were on a farm and they were, uh, they had grandparents, you know, both sets of grandparents lived on either side of the main family's home. Um, it was like a fantastic transitional opportunity because Jeff and I unfortunately realized that we just couldn't support this family permanently, this group right. permanently. Um, and so we worked on a transition plan with, with DHS and I went and interviewed three separate families because I said we wouldn't let them leave our home until I felt like this next family knew what they were getting into and had the skills and support network to take care of them. Oh, that's um, interesting. So you sort of ran point on that. where they went? Uh, so that's atypical. That's not norm a normal oh, thing. Okay. But I, I control freak status. I, well, it's because I care wow, about Michael. the kids. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I would, I would way rather you do some due diligence and like care, right? And yeah, want to have they, some some control over this process. Um, yeah, the workers had these names, and I said, let me have a phone call with them, and you know, we can see what works because I want them to be informed. Um, and I could always get, if I get a phone call, I could get into their house and that would be my way of knowing if I think this person is capable. And I never actually had a caseworker that didn't like me doing that because they want it to be successful as well. Um, and I am a control freak, but that's only because I care about those kids. Yes. So you made the decision that it wasn't going to work long-term to be the parents to these three kids. I was wondering kind of like what was the time commitment or what was the change in lifestyle and everything from going from zero kids to three kids in foster care now at your home? Like, how did you guys What work? were things you liked to do that you were no, like no like, longer able to do? No, 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 not that. Like, how did you, like, 
were you still going to work and how <laughs> yeah um th- it was very hard being two full-time employed adults so um within a couple days i found daycare for the youngest who wasn't in school full-time um mm-hmm. i was able to get femla through work so intermittent child leave so when the kids needed me whether they were sick or doctors or court I could leave work and go support them um the two older ones were in school full-time essentially and then I had arranged after school care through a local program um that the school the schools bust them to and um they got to hang out with other kids and do their homework and then I'd pick them up about five o'clock we'd come home um, pick up the youngest who is in daycare, who the daycare facility is my, was ran by my brother-in-law's mom. So I also knew, had an inside mm. view of how he was doing. And I felt really comfortable That's you know, good. with her yeah. being there. And then, you know, we went from going out to restaurants and bars, you know, three or four nights a week to not going out anywhere, anywhere, not seeing <laughs> At all. anyone. Yeah. Um, but we did make it a goal as like a little family to um, do adventures every weekend. So we went to the zoo, we went to the aquarium, we went hiking. Um, it was a, many, a library. Many of these kids have never seen things like that. So I wanted to create good memories for them while they were with us. Yeah. And bribery. Yeah. Yeah. Bribery. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's awesome. So the daycare and the after school programs and everything, is that something that you were kind of like solo? I have to figure this out. We have to find somewhere for these kids to be after school, etc. Or did the foster system kind of ha like do training or have um recommendations for you of who you can call to figure this out? They were starting to build me find and build me options. Um However, again, they're incredibly busy and their timeline was like a week and my timeline was 24 hours, 48 hours. So um, I just ran with it and I told them this is how much it's costing. I need you to chip in something. And they said Mm. no. And I said, you try again. And they found money. If you push, they can find money. Um, Interesting. (laughs) I, I found some support. It did not cover everything at all. Um, but it helped make those programs more attainable for us as a, as a home. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, definitely. As a foster parent, you learn pretty quickly that everything's driven by you as the advocate for the child. Um, and you have to be present, um, in every aspect of their life because more often Mm -hmm. than not, they haven't had anybody being an advocate for them previously. And I think that might be um, something that doesn't cross people's minds as much as like, well, I'm, I'm like in, I'm offering my home to this, you know, in the system and, and, and we did all the training and we're doing, we're doing all these things. Well, I think maybe some people would assume that like, okay, the people that are coordinating everything, I'm not going to have to like fight against them to like advocate for this child. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. one, you have the home Two, you're like feeding them, housing them, like doing the laundry, doing all of the things, being the parent. But then the fact that you also then have to tell like other people like, no, I need this help. This kids need these help. Like these kids need this kind of help. It's a mm. lot of work. 
Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. Also, it's not the most straightforward system. Um, it sounds like it can differ from who you're dealing with in the office or what office you're dealing with. It can differ from city to city, state to state. You were mentioning, I think, before um, we started recording something about like each judge can be different. Each case is different. I don't know if you can like dive into your experience with that at all. Yes, at least in Oregon, the system and I actually work for human services in a different capacity than foster care. So I have like a an inside this is why you're the expert (laughs) (laughs) um i we we try and do person-centered care and so every case needs to be evaluated from their standpoint what's in best interest for the circumstances of the child or you know um it can be adult at times um but we try and tailor as much as possible within the laws that are around us and you'll find that even county, you know, from Portland to Salem, they would operate differently based on their budgets and based on the available resources. And then when you get to court, rules can be bent if it's in the best interest of, of the individual in care. Um, but then you also will have that aspect of a judge who um, has their own personal bias that may not want to um separate a child from a family and and the goal should never be to separate a child from their family you want to keep provide resources while a child's at home to you know fix the issue that just brought dhs into their lives but there are times where it's just not safe and so there i'm aware of one judge um locally who it's it's incredibly seldom that they approve a removal because a judge has to ultimately um, okay the 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 period of, of foster care. You know, DHS intervenes immediately, and then they get a judge to back up with the reasoning they provide. And so there's this one judge who will leave kids in situations that are precarious um, at times, We're and and that's safe. Yeah, for for how you and I would see a normal life, um, they they would say you know it's still better than removing them and creating that trauma. And there is, you know, some logic behind that, but um, I think that their threshold's probably not an accurate uh, way of life. And that same person also doesn't often okay the termination of parental rights for children so they can move on to an adoption period because that is, you know, when a case is, when a child's been in the system for an extended period of time and it's decided that the family or relative cannot take um, guardianship of the child again, they will seek some alternative guardianship, whether that's just guardianship, Mm -hmm. adoption. um, There's a third term, but uh, where the parent no longer is the legal guardian of the child. And then a foster resource um, is then awarded parental rights, essentially. And there's a judge that I know who just doesn't let that happen. Um, But then there are others who are probably too quick to trigger as well. And we see those are kind of the horror stories across the country about why people have can have a bad view of of the foster system. One of the reasons. And that's like kids getting taken from their home in a sense of like uh, the situation wasn't that bad or, you know, it, it misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. And then the kids taken away from the home and placed into the foster care system 
um, which can be traumatic for all parties involved. Yeah, um, I think there's currently a pretty famous court case uh, happening right now where a newborn infant was removed from their family's care because they used a midwife who didn't immediately identify, and I'm paraphrasing, um, signs of jaundice for the infant. Um, and when they took the kid to the hospital, the family was um, reluctant to engage in, in direct care because they wanted more information. And the the hospital staff alerted DHS who suspended parental rights. And now this kid, you know, who's under two weeks old is in the system. And the really sad an thing infant. about that, <laughs> an infant, the really sad thing about that is that, you know, the family was operating under the best information that they have. They're operating within good intent. Uh, and they were hesitant, I think, as every parent should be, you know, when you're looking at medical options for a child, somebody jumped the gun. And now a court case can be easily three months of that infant's life away from their mother. That's an incredibly traumatic thing for, for the family, everyone involved. Um, so those are kind of the quick trigger fears that people have, uh, unfortunately, hmm. because mm -hmm. there's a reality to it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, all, definitely this, a middle ground. all these <laughs> systems are, are ran by, you know, we're all human and we, yeah. we all have different biases and we all have different like levels of what we think is, is right or just. And so that they're, they're never going to be perfect. Right. Like obviously the, the goal would be to make them as perfect as possible, but that's, that's probably not possible. So, you know, we just kind of have to operate under the best, best that we can. I mean, I do find it interesting that it, it sounds like the judge holds a lot of the power here. And of course, it's a legal circumstance that the judge would. But I don't know. Judges don't have that. What, they have do they, a lot of training and like they, yeah, child they, development, you know, and like family, mm -hmm. family, child dynamics, psychology. Um, all you know you trauma the goal <laughs> is that the the judge operates with input from all the vested parties so from dhs from the you know family's attorney and that could be different for mom and dad if they're separated or not um there are things called court appointed special advocates and those are kind of like a resource that um, is outside of DHS and the attorneys who evaluates all information and makes a recommendation based on what they think is in the best interest of the child. Um, there can be a tribal, like a, you know, a, a local tribe that has a say in it if the child's a part of an ICWA case. There's so many um, vested parties and you're hoping that the judge takes all of that information into account and not always will they, but they kind of ultimately have that that you know heavy-handed power um that no one can oppose easily without doing an appeal uh yeah it's which takes time yeah months yeah. yeah save big on your memorial day barbecue all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So I feel like, obviously, you working for the state in 
in some sector of DHS, correct? Yeah. And then having gone through the foster care system, say that everything works out perfectly in in the sense of like, you know, you're able to take in a child because of a dangerous situation. That situation never gets better. DHS and the judge recognize that. Um, you are able to, you know, maintain um, uh, rights of, of parentage, you know, throughout the process. And then that child maybe comes up for adoption. And maybe that was your hope the whole time is to, you know, eventually maybe find a, a child who, who was never going to be placed back with their family. What, what like would an ideal timeline almost look like for that? As far if like everything was like, if there were no hiccups, right. Which never happens, but like how much time do they wait for yeah. a family until they decide like, ah, we just cannot, like that is just not a safe space for that, that child to go back into. Mm. Yeah. How we need to, we need made? to like, we need to look for alternative options and we need to put this child up for adoption. Do you know what that timeline would look like? Um, it definitely varies state to state. Um, mm-hmm. My understanding of Oregon, and to be clear, I am just speaking as someone who's worked in the system or like as a foster resource parent, I'm not representing the state in this conversation. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Good clarification. Uh, <laughs> the ultimate goal is always reunification with the primary guardian, whether that be an aunt, uncle, right. mom, dad. Um, if that cannot be met, there are status updates that should be occurring every 90 days before a judge in court, how the case is going. So a child's removed from home. Within 30 days, there should be a court hearing. And then after that, another 60 days for that first status update. And you want to see the family be engaged in reunification efforts and what other you know, it could be a sobriety issue and that they're, you know, engaging in those services. Um, they could be temporarily incarcerated and, you know, they're serving their time and expected to exit at X, Y date. But so you got that three month checkup. And then at six months, there's a, a decent sized or de- supposed to be a decent review of the case, uh, how progress is going. Um, and hopefully the family's trending for reunification. If not, um, th- it could be terminated at that point. But more often than not, cases go for about 12 months before the state seeks what's called a change of plan. And that means that reunification can, is not the optimal plan or a likely plan for the child. And so if that 12-month mark is met and the family is not engaging properly and it's not in the best interest of the child, they could schedule what they call a, a change of plan. And so that's about a month away where they say, let's, you know, put your, your evidence forward, why we should be doing that. And the family put their evidence forward, why, you know, they should still be engaged. If they decide that they're going to pursue termination of uh, rights, then um, it's kind of awarded almost within a, a, you know, an immediate period at that point. Um, An immediate being the, case closes for the day, judge issues their order, and then you have a couple weeks to prepare. Um, Oregon has a system where um, if there's a panel that comes together uh, from anywhere from volunteers to foster parents to DHS workers, um, Mm -hmm. and they 
review all of the application of people who want to adopt this child. And that can be another relative out of state. That could be, you know, a, a cousin of the child. Um, Erica to be like myself, a resource parent. Um, and we all put it, our, our applications forward. And um, our, our caseworker, which is called a permanency worker, you know, goes to this panel and advocates why we're the best person for it. And we don't get to be present for that. Um, we can write letters, we can have people write letters of recommendation. And then um, in sort of every, every vested party who put that application has that opportunity. And then they spend, I believe it's supposed to be about three days reviewing, but I think that they happen sort of that day and they make their decision. And wow. um, That's then you're, you're mm. notified, it doesn't have, but they don't have to notify you immediately either. It takes time to get their paperwork done. So they'll issue their recommendation and DHS will then take that recommendation and say, you've essentially been awarded uh, parental rights of this child, but we have to go to court now to solidify that. And that court date can be three months after, um, up to three months after. (sighs) So if it's very quick and everything goes super smoothly, you know, 13 to 14 months, um, if it's still going all right and that's the plan and everyone's kind of marching along uh, 18 months, um, if it's to, to, you know, award adoption um, or guardianship. And then if it goes to two years, which can happen due to, you know, increased uh, appeal efforts, um, it can take up to two years, but it's again, case dependent. Yeah. Goodness. And, um, I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about these different processes and like, um, obviously sometimes if you're trying to build a family, there is a, I mean, there's a financial component, right. Of like, Mm -hmm. what can I do, uh, financially, um, as far as fostering and maybe even then eventually adopting from foster, um, it, they help you out, right? You get yeah. some sort of like monthly, but you probably still go over that a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if you have like, yeah. yeah, we we sort of like went over that number this amount. And then if you were to ultimately adopt, you know, what what is the potential the like costs. financial cost on your end to make that happen? In Oregon, we have a stage-based stipend for each child. And so like infants through I think five or six, um, if they have very low needs or, you know, an atypical or a typical child, um, I think the, 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 the rates like $671 a month, Okay. which, um, if you're a stay at home parent, uh, that could, you know, potentially cover our, a decent portion of what a child would cost at those ages. Um, and then it goes up, you know, a hundred or $200 as they get older. And that's for Mm. various reasons. But if they have increased needs, like if they have uh, some kind of a developmental delay, behavioral challenges, you know, there's incremental, incremental um, step increases for that stipend. Um, And that's per month. I don't think we ever spent under that amount, (laughs) even when we had three kids coming in and partial daycare expenses, uh, you know, daycare reimbursements. Um, yeah, we definitely overspent every, I mean, just when we had our infant, we were spending just for daycare alone, probably about 1500 a month on them. <gasps> um, 
and they were reimbursing, I think a total of 900 and some change with everything that they could do. Okay. Yeah. So it's still costing about 500 or more a month out of pocket expenses. Well, that's just daycare. That's not diapers and formula and clothes and driving because there's a lot of driving involved. But for us, that wasn't why we were in it. We were there to take care of children. Correct. Um, But that's super helpful to know because I think... I think maybe it's like, oh, foster, you know, is like the most affordable option. And like, maybe financially, I'm in a spot where I'm not ready to Mm -hmm. go through a private adoption or surrogacy. Um, And but I have a home and I have a lot of a lot of love and um, and I want to do that. But knowing that there's a a monthly, you know, expenditure that you're that probably is going to have to come out of your your bank account is I think going to be help, is helpful to know, right? You, yeah, definitely. And it was going to vary from house to house, parent to parent, and state of how to much state. Spend obviously, and, right? Like who you know, states that that budget well, and states that don't budget well, and because I've also heard mean. that there could be families in the system that are just doing foster care to make money. Yeah, which is um, bizarre to me to think about. But is that a thing that happens too? That is a thing. It happens everywhere. Um, I just did a quick little search. The lowest reimbursement is 350 and that's out of Missouri a month for a child and that's by ages. So it increases depending on the age range. Um, North Dakota, oddly enough, is the highest that I can see at 849 per child. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon's not terrible, but it's not the best either. Um, it, there is help out there. So you know, if you if you're a stay at home parent, if you know one person is a stay at home parent, even if you both are, if you have relative support with daycare, you know that stipend may actually be enough to mm, potentially care mm-hmm. for that child. Um, the way that we would ideally like to live, um, I, it wasn't enough, but um, you can absolutely make that work. And so, when you're when you are when you do have a foster placement with you. Um, it's really great to track all of your expenses month by month for that child, because if you go to, if you're able to adopt them, at least in Oregon, we get to advocate for a stipend that follows them to the age of 18. So, Mm. um, if I could prove that I'm spending $1,500 a month on our child, I can take that to, uh, the finalization process and you know they're going to make me an offer of what they can do and they're once it leaves their their hands the case is closed they want to argue for the least amount of money as possible for a couple of reasons they want to make sure that you're not just taking this kid because they come with a check but two they need that as much money as possible to stay in the direct system of kids that are you know receiving new right. care okay so but the the rule really is so the for an infant I think it's 670 something, 690 something. Um, you probably will not get more than what that stipend is. It's that stipend or lower. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still a very helpful amount of money per month um, yeah. that you don't have to pay taxes on. Also another great benefit, but it doesn't include like daycare costs. So I have to argue up until that stipend amount and they you know, it could be if the stipend six ninety at most, I can get six eighty nine. It's um, oh, kind wow. of the general the general rule, uh, and that follows them. You know, until they're eighteen, 
at least in Oregon, uh, in my experience, I'm sure there are outlier cases. Um, but then many of these children are then entitled to, um, grants and, uh, you know, scholarships as they go to secondary education. Um, there's a lot of continued funding and resources available for them, um, to make sure that they have, they see success because even with a successful adoption, um, the graduation rate and secondary education rate for children who have lived part of their lives in the system is not a fantastic number. And mm. we would love to see that come up. So any support available is also great. But the actual adoption process, if you're doing foster to adopt in Oregon, at least does not cost the family anything. Okay. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So I had can... heard like ballpark, you can expect anything from like five to 10,000 I think it's mostly just legal fees, right? If that's what it, you would be paying yeah. for, but then like, but in Oregon they cover those. They cover legal those legal fees, fees, right? Yeah, there. I mean, there of course are random expenses that may come up, or you know, say you're not getting the support you need, you could get your own lawyer to also step in, and and they don't have a lot of power in this system, but they could be advocating. So that could be some of the cost. You might have to pay a court fee for some reason if like something messed up um but it really should be 500 or under is like the generally quoted bit of information but um the goal is always zero expense for a family adopting out of foster system in oregon off of that so Mm -hmm. what is the emotional kind of path on this because it's over nine thousand, my friend. It's over nine thousand. I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> there you know, is no you, limit. <laughs> the limit does not exist. The fir- the first round of foster care was three kids, and you you were already talking about like you guys were crying just like every other day, just chaos. Did you ever insanity. stop crying? Um, but then, like, I'm thinking about <laughs> it's still happening. So no, yeah, that's true. I'm I'm thinking about like pursuing these avenues towards adoption and going through the system. And like, that's the goal is to take, not only take care of these children, but to hopefully one day be able to adopt and entering into it like that and seeing, I don't know, pursuing the system, going to these court dates, et cetera. What is that like when you're taking care of a child day in and day out, um, working towards adoption and then possibly not being able to adopt and and seeing that child go back and forth. And I don't know. Yeah. We have had 10 placements total since 2020. So we're just, you know, three years, Um, which is, I mean, depends on who you talk to that's high or low Um, each family, what they want to take on is different, but there's not a child that I don't wonder about still. Um, They kind of occupy some, level of thought space for me daily um uh i i i can say that like any emotional hardship has always been rewarded tenfold when you see like the joy that these kids get to have with you mm. um so there, there is like you know as, as long as your heart's a beaten in there <laughs> and is <laughs> alive you do get some reward to me that made it worth it um, but there, it, there are very hard days there. My hardest, um, I was in the fetal position on my kitchen floor, sobbing on the phone. No. Um, but then like the joy of like bringing home a newborn and raising them day over day was 
incalculable. So it, you're going to get, no matter how amazing your process is going to be, there's going to be frustrating, hard times. Um, but if, if you can, if you have a good way to decompress and manage your stress, it's a completely attainable process for almost anybody. Um, I wouldn't let that fear of uh, the hard times scare you away from, from trying to support children. Mm. What kind of advice would you give to others that are thinking about going into foster care of how to manage their emotions and to approach the system with grace and patience? <laughs> um, you are the advocate for the children. Um and they may have never had that ever. So uh, regardless of how hard it is on you, it's way harder on them. Um, so yeah. remind yourself that like you are kind of a superhero, even if the kids don't like you, you are kind of their superhero. Um, and and uh, that always kind of got me through when I was having hard times because I could sideline my own feelings knowing that I was doing the right thing for the kid. Um, my husband and I, we had like a, a tag in tag out policy. Like if we saw I, any one of either one of us struggling, we'd be like, Hey, you need to step away. I got this. Or, you know, we'd come to each other and say, I need, you know, tomorrow night off to just go hang out with X, Y, Z friends. And we, I mean, for us, it always worked. We could always do that. And the other person could handle that time with, with the kids. Um, and I think you need, if you're doing this with a partner, have a, a real conversation about, um, you know, what are your limits and what you're going to, you, you think you'll need help with and um, create time for each other and create time for yourself to just set it aside because as much as you want to get done, uh, you know, anybody who has a kid knows that you can't make them change very quickly. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. You can't educate them quickly, but there's also things in the system that, if it's the appointment's two weeks away and that's when a decision is being made, it's still going to be two weeks away, whether you're thinking about it every moment or not, you just have to let go. Um, there's very little that's actually in your control and, but what you do have in your control, that's where you get to be a superhero. Yeah. And that's actually taking care of the kids doing, yeah. doing what you're meant to with foster care. Are there some um, uh, like limitations? I know obviously you can't post photos um, of any kids that have been placed with you. Um, I'm assuming there are limits of like, you can't just drop them off at somebody's house that DHS hasn't approved. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that true? So like, yes and no. So, okay. uh, it's again, state by state. Um, but Oregon, at least when we were having discussions about posting children online, said they don't actually want you to like put a sticker over their face. Um, they want that kid to feel like they're totally integrated in your life. Hmm. Um, you may be given reasons why you shouldn't share pictures. If there's a safety concern for that, you know, a, a, that a relative or family member coming to find that kid, that could be a reason why. And they'll identify those members as, as it approaches But in general, they do kind of want, at least here, want you to treat them like any other kid in your home. And that could mean, you know, posting their picture online. Um, I've always been hesitant about it um, right. because they have a right to privacy and ultimately they're not my child. Right. Um, so I want to respect their potential family's beliefs. 
Um, and then when it comes to just dropping a kid off, uh, you know, you can have what's considered um, a babysitter, like an intermittent babysitting, like, you know, Matt's parents live down the street from me. And, I, and, and actually, true story, um, I needed daycare <laughs> one day and I, you know, called up his mom and she was ready. And turns out yeah. I didn't need her to do it. But it, what that wasn't a big deal, like a one off, not an issue. If I have a continual babysitter, they'll need to sort of be cleared by a background check. Um, and we've done that too. We had our nannies who come, came to our house every day, get cleared for background. Um, if the kid wants to go stay overnight somewhere, if it's scheduled, if there isn't an emergency where they have to do it, that place they're going to stay has to have a cleared background check. So generally you want to get things approved before they leave your home. But if it's a one-off instance, or they're just going to a friend's house to hang out, as long as it's not a frequent place, um, you don't have to yeah. have everyone okay. cleared by the FBI. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so where does that leave you now with foster care, foster to adopt? Where, like, where in the system are you? And yeah, because you've had ten placements in and, and three some years, of those have, years. Yeah, some of those have been uh, our shortest was eight hours. So oh wow, like so nine and a quarter. Um, <laughs> and that's a that's a crazy story in itself. Um, and then there are ones that have been with us for, you know, on and off for two years. Um, now, you know, we kind of, we ultimately we're going into it with the, the idea of adopting a child through the system. Um, and that didn't come to fruition for us. And that's okay. Cause these kids are where they should be right now. Um, we are working on surrogacy and we, also started that process um in the winter of 2020 okay uh no 2021 yeah 2021 okay okay same as us yeah yeah (laughs) it was like december and we had our first meeting with uh our, our potential agency and um we've just been working on it since then and it's as you guys know you're kind of beholden to everyone's schedules in this process. Exactly. Mm. Is there something um, that, that shied you away from private adoption? Was there also like a bit of unpredictability in that, in potentially pursuing that? And is there, I was just the decision of like, let's just do surrogacy because it's like, there's something that we can sort of plan or was there more to that decision? Some of the reasons why we're not pursuing fostering right now are the reasons I was afraid to do private adoption. Um, And it's, you know, the idea of supporting, you know, identifying a a parent who's like scheduling to anticipating to surrender their child at birth, you know, you adopt it. um, And then at the last minute, they kind of realize it's not the right choice for them. And then it ends and you kind of have all your hopes and dreams kind of dashed in that in that moment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um that's kind of why we were like i i said like i can't do that at the the time we started fostering emotionally you were you had spent all of the like unpredictable emotions i mean on on the foster system yeah and you're like i'm not getting any younger but i i didn't think fostering would have done that that was my own naivete i thought we were gonna get around it and turns out i mean i didn't um, think so either i i always (laughs) i i think about that emotion attached to private adoption 
with the situation you just explained, but I did not consider that emotion with um, foster or foster to adopt. Yeah, that's that's where I was operating. I just didn't want it to start happening and then it get pulled away and then, you know, our little dreams are broken for the time being. Um, so we kind of just said it wasn't the right choice, especially when you consider the potential cost with it um, as well. Like, you know, we live a comfortable life, but um, how many potential failures can we afford um, emotionally and, and, and monetarily? And then with agencies, you know, if you pay a $25,000, $50,000 fee to work with them, and that's only gives you two work, two years of work or three years of their work, and, and you don't get a placement, and then they say, can we need more money? That, that scared me. That scared us. See, um, I don't even... Surrog- yeah. I don't even know if we went down the adoption road that far to know that there is a two-year time limit no, we didn't. on your money. We didn't know that. There are many that have a, a contract that you sign and this is our efforts good for this period of time. Or if it, it's, um, you know, we start like in that period of time and we start an a, a adoption for you and that ends, <gasps> that could also end your contract. And then oh. that's $25,000, $50,000 that failed and we need it again to continue this process with so you. So it could there just are be some like, like for that. an individual, like, oh, we're going to just try this one one case. And if it doesn't work out, then we're going to need another fee. And that was conversations that I had with agencies. Not every agency does that. That's not they all operate differently. Experience. Right. Yeah. But okay. that was, we encountered that and that scared us from, from running that road. Just and so we're in surrogacy, show. <laughs> Good research. more expensive, but um, there's a little more certainty, hopefully, at the end. It's like, yeah, and I think that's that's part of, I mean, none of these processes are predictable, um, but the one that you can have the most control over uh, seems to be surrogacy, and you pay a premium for that, but kind of. you I get mean, embryos. Kind of control. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You kind of control. You can control so much. We talked about this the other day, and I said it was um, delayed, delayed unpredictability. Delayed unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pay this fee, you pay that fee, you you make your embryos, and assuming that you have, you know, at you least do a everything few viable you can embryos, to set yourself up for success, and then you cross your fingers and, that the biology takes over. Yep, and hope that nature goes the way you want it to yeah yeah that's that's surrogacy (laughs) yeah and it comes out of premium but like it it's it's one of those things it's like okay do i invest a lot financially or do i invest like an insane amount emotionally and Mm -hmm. obviously you're obviously you're investing emotionally in surrogacy that i'm not saying that that's delayed delayed (laughs) delayed yeah or it's like you know right now we've 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 done um this process for a year and a half uh we haven't had the heartbreak the children in our arms and then them taken away it's just it's a different type of of you have to have the heart for it yeah the moment and be in full knowledge and willing to take care of a child for a long period of time hope to have that child Mm -hmm. in your life and then for that child to be taken back away and put back in possibly a difficult situation yeah but Mm -hmm. i mean like yeah, you really are a hero for stepping into that position. Yeah. Like you guys do, you did some pretty family. insane things to be able to take care of kids that 
shouldn't have been your responsibility to begin with so do you think at some point in the future you'll reopen um your house to foster like maybe once there's a few kids does that something that we've thought about is i think just hearing i mean because we were lucky enough to know and follow you guys through your foster story Mm -hmm. um which played a little bit of a part in (laughs) how we made our decision right and we're like kind of watching people go through these processes and we're like gosh i don't know if we're cut out for that um at this time in our life but in the future yeah i think you know i i told the story of my sister having three of her own kids and then being like look i am financially set up and i have a giant heart for children they also had some like um testing done where it wasn't actually safe for them to have any more kids of their own and i think that that maybe sort of factored into it but they're like we want to open our home and then they ended up adopting from foster and i for for some reason to me that that felt more attainable of like okay i've i've raised a child i have a home set up i know what daycare is like i know what taking them to school is like and so then when if if I were to add another child into it, obviously I'm dealing with a lot of other things with that, but maybe I'm set up uh, a little bit better. Is that something that you've thought about in the future? I I really believe we will come back to fostering. Um, I I think that ultimately it's something that I want to do in my lifetime. Um, And that may just be being a temporary placement for, for children but I, like you, want to have some permanency and stability like with my family unit before I gamble on that unpredictability again. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I see us, or we see us having two children, but we both agree that we want to foster again. And there's room for us to then pursue a third child um, and, and if that's to be the thing, I actually want to, this next time we do it, pursue um, finding a, a teenager or mm, kid that's yeah. a little bit older um, yeah. for, for various reasons. But um, I think that would be like closing the loop on my story is bringing it, you know, an yeah. older kid into some safe place um, because I, I, you know, personally haven't gone through it there were very, very few options available to, to myself. And I know that it's not much different um, nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are there wow. any, any tidbits, anything that we haven't covered that you're like, Oh my gosh, how did you guys not touch on this? I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. I definitely want to learn a lot more about foster care. I <laughs> doubt this is the last time we have you on. Yeah. <laughs> like, please teach me. Um, I think we generally covered a lot of it. Um, I'm sure it'll be something as soon as we stop talking that it pops to mind, but uh, there's just, there's a lot of joy that comes from, from the experience. Um, And even with that, it it is kind of hard to, you know, being somebody who's going now through surrogacy and, and meeting someone new and we say we're pursuing surrogacy. And one of our first comments is, well, have you tried adopting? Um, <laughs> like, you're like, do you want uh, me hold, to tell you? <laughs> hold the beer. Like, yeah, uh, hold my drink, please. Oh. Um, you know, you those 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 people. Um, it are funny because often what I found are the people who say that first are also the same people that say, you know, 
you're trying to steal someone's child. So it's a pick a struggle. Pick a Whoa. struggle. Oh yeah. <laughs> people ah. people have commentary, I guess. Um and you kind of have to let it roll off your back because you're making the decision that's right for you. Right. Um and and I encourage everyone to explore their options, especially foster care. There's mm-hmm. a great need. I think more of us are capable of su- supporting the network um, than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, but you, you know, you just got to push a little bit and, and figure out what you can do. And that might only be doing foster foster one child, but if you can help out one kid, mm-hmm. great. And I think that's super important and like such a valuable perspective. And that's why we wanted to talk to you is like, I think a lot of times people hear oh my gosh it's the foster system it's crazy there's so many kids there's so much trauma there's so much this there's so much that um but hearing your experience with 10 placements and hearing like but it's so rewarding and if you can just help out one kid yeah that that's like so worth it and it's so encouraging and i think that that you can set your limits that yeah you can yeah you can set your boundaries and say this is what i can do uh, and, I, and I became real good at that. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's, um, uh, you know, there are some systems built in where, you know, if you need to travel and, you know, there are families that do like weekend respite. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so there's, care. so you have, there are, you know, probably not enough, uh, things to be put enough support in the system. There always could be more, but there's ways, um, but there are definitely supports built in to try and make it manageable. Well, the respite providers are like every foster parent's dream to have that access. Yeah. Um, and I just, one little point, can we mention another, um, social media person about their journey? Just a brief little, Oh, hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Of course you can so, do whatever yeah. you want. Well, like, so I, when we started this journey, PJ and Thomas were starting there or like in the middle of their, um, fostering journey. And they definitely like opened a window into like, oh, it's totally possible for two dads for me at that point to like pursue that Avenue and seeing, um, their great success and, uh, happy story, um, was a fuel and still still is a fuel for me to to pursue that because there is joy that comes from it for for people um so i definitely like applaud them and um i'm so thankful for their story online with foster care they are on our tbd guest list yeah we might actually be so we are (laughs) you know send them this link and maybe it'll yes of course you can hear their impact yes yeah absolutely and when they they had a um a triple like three children yeah. placed with them mm-hmm. and then it, it was a success story of adoption um and i think maybe you were like maybe i didn't want to have the experience of pj and thomas immediately as my first placement yeah, having no. three kids but um like, i guess now i know that <laughs> yeah i guess now i know what it's like a slow burn to that point um yeah Anyway, they, it was, I, at that time, um, it did, I think I would say it did impact our choice to go that route because we saw success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's all. Oh, well, I thank you that. so much, Mitch, for coming on and blessing us with your multitude of educational things that I had no idea. You have about. a lot of knowledge yeah, packed you in your brain about the foster care system. So that was like wonderful to just like pick at and weed out and, and, I, that is, I've learned so much and I've 
been your friend for many many years <laughs> and the entire time you're with the foster si- foster care system but i think you had mentioned before it's like it's not really something we bring up at the dinner table very often yeah exactly. so that's why it's that. like it's, yeah. it's nice to just like sit down and just have a time dedicated to like get all this info and just we'll definitely be unpacking a lot more of this in the future um because yes. i feel like you know the more you know, the more you want to know. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so well, thank enjoy you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Get back to you being so well. productive at work and hopefully maybe another movie or two. Oh, I actually have it queued up. So yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank Bye. you. Guys. We'll see you later. Bye. Yep. Wow. Amazing. Oh my God. I loved that. Oh, I feel like that rocked my brain. Um, There's, and that was so informative and I'm that is need exactly what i myself. wanted to know yeah oh it just really it actually changed my perspective on foster care and the foster system and in a good way like you think it would be more attainable than you had i do once thought i feel i would say empowered a little bit of just i don't know i didn't it it demystified it that's what it did yeah i it mean i think it's so it i think it's so easy to hear a single story right about somebody's experience um or hear something negative Mm -hmm. um about maybe the foster care system yeah um and sort of extrapolate that to the whole the whole experience of of every foster family you know right um and just kind of hearing like okay so uh, these are the the requirements one you know we need to learn, we need to go to classes, we need to have a home study, et cetera, et cetera. And then just kind of hearing like, okay, you plan a little bit financially, but overall there's a lot of support there. I think it's just it's just nice to have kind of like a, a, a good overview of the foster system and how we could maybe and en- enter into that someday. I hope we can. Yeah, I want to. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, I think they have a need. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, leave a review. <laughs> if you have an experience in the foster system um, or as a adoptee, like yeah. Mitch had kind of, you know, that was part of his his story was, you know, he didn't have a family yet at some point when he was a teenager. If you have any stories like that, I mean, I, I don't know. More the questions best around to share the them, topic but... of foster care, foster to adopt. Yes. So that we can, yeah. We'd love to tackle those in the future. Um, and then check us out on Instagram, TikTok, all the things. Leave us a review. Leave Five us a comment. Stars, we love that. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Until thank next so time, Daddy's, Daddy's out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.